Well, we are going to jump into the message here in a minute, but before we do, I want to give you a heads up on next week's message, um, specifically for those of you who are parents of little kids. If you've got um, little kids, say 12, 13, and younger, you're probably going to want to find something else for them to do uh, during the message next week. Um, normally, um, I can say, hey, we've got great kids' environments, you should put your kids there, um, but we don't have that option right now. Um, so I'm trying to, to save you from having um, some awkward conversations with your six-year-old, because next week the message is a little bit PG-13, um, so we want to make sure and uh, remind you of that, uh, let you know that today, we'll remind you of that um, next week, which, which reminds me, parents, how grateful have you been um, for our Kids Point team over the last um, couple months? You really don't know how grateful you are for something until it's gone. Um, I, I, I don't have kids at that age right now, um, but I'm sure you are missing being able to check your kids into the nest and the hollow and the fort, um, even the loop, and then come up here and join us in the worship center for service, and we just haven't had that. I, I know our kids are missing it. I know our Kids Point team is missing it something fierce, and I'm sure um, you as a parent are missing that as well. Um, so I'll just say this. Continue to take advantage of the tools that uh, the Kids Point team is putting together uh, for you and for your kids, and stay tuned for some plans that um, our, our team is making for um, the summer. We'll roll those out here pretty soon. Uh, but again, just wanted to remind you or just wanted to kind of give you a heads up uh, for next week's message um, so you don't have to have any of those awkward conversations with your kids. Um, so today, um, we started this series on the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago. We've, we've been trying to take bite-sized chunks of uh, the Sermon on the Mount each week, and this week is no different. Uh, we're going to see Jesus teach um, his disciples about prayer, uh, something that most of us do, and, and yet, what if, um, maybe you've never thought about this before, but what if you're doing it wrong? What if it's something um, that you've been doing your entire life, but you're doing it wrong? I mean, could you imagine somebody coming up to you when you're praying and, and them saying to you, hey, I heard you're praying, you're not doing that right. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that be offensive? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be like, what are you talking? There's not a right way and a wrong way to pray. It's just talking to God, right? And then, and then there's a group of you um, watching this that, that feel intimidated by prayer. You're not sure how to pray, so you just don't. Um, you're, you have wishful thoughts towards God. You have you know, conversations with the big guy upstairs, uh, but you're not real sure about the whole prayer thing. And so Jesus um, is going to say to those disciples that had gathered on the hillside that day, I want to teach you how to pray. And, and those people that were there that day were, were good Jews. They'd grown up praying. They had some prayers memorized. They, they prayed multiple times every single day. But Jesus knew something about prayer that they obviously didn't. Or, or Jesus knew some things about prayer that he obviously wanted them 
to know. So he launches into this teaching about prayer. So that's where we're going to go today. Um, and, and, and we're going to join Jesus on the hillside again as, as he teaches uh, from the greatest sermon ever. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be if you want to follow along with us in your Bible or mobile device, um, starting in verse 5. He actually starts by telling us how not to pray. Here we go. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't pray in public because Jesus prayed in public. What he's saying is uh, motive matters. Intent matters. Jesus is saying, if, if the only reason you pray is because of the flashy, showy thing that, that to show people how you know, higher and, and, and super and holy person that you are, that's the only payoff you're going to get. That's the only reward you're going to get. I hope you enjoy that reward. And there's a little clue in here. There's the word standing. Um, Jesus doesn't say when you hear someone praying. He says when you see someone standing. And most scholars believe that he's referring to a specific kind of prayer. Um, it's called the Amidah, a customary Hebrew prayer. Amidah means standing. Um, it was a silent prayer that they prayed three times a day when they woke up in the morning, when they went to bed at night, and mid-afternoon, let's say, around three o'clock. And um, Jesus obviously had grown up seeing this. Um, he, he, he noticed people who would time their schedule. So they would just so happen to be at the busiest intersection in town right at three o'clock. It's like, oh my goodness, it's three o'clock and here I am at the busiest intersection. Time to pray. And they pray this silent prayer. And they move on. And, and they're doing it so people can see them. And Jesus says, if your intent in prayer is some kind of an external reward, your prayers are dead. They're, they're hollow. They're worthless. They're, they're empty. And then, as, as a good rabbi always did to make his point, he goes over the top in the contrast. He basically says, instead, go home, close the door, pull the shades, and find a pantry to pray in. Now, that, that's my translation, but he's saying that we don't need spectators to pray the way that he is teaching us. And it's not a formula. It's not don't do that and do this, and then God will make all your wildest dreams come true. Again, he's saying motive matters. Your, your intent matters. I think he's also saying that time and place matter. Like, like the time that you put into it or the place that you do it matters. This isn't about throwing up prayers on the way to work on a day you have some presentation. This isn't about throwing up prayers on the way to school on a day of a test that you didn't study for. Like, if prayer is about getting God to do stuff for you, then time and place doesn't matter. But if prayer is about something more, then maybe time and place does matter a little bit more than we think it does. Let's keep going. He shifts gears here. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before 
you ask. Now, we, we saw last week that pagans just means non-Jewish people. It means Gentiles. And pagans pray differently than Jews. Uh, pagans believe that their so-called gods had human characteristics, and you never knew where they were or what they were doing. So, so prayer was all about getting their attention. Like, hey, over here. You had to get their attention, and they did that through repetitious prayers where you would say, um, you know, that particular God's name over and over and over again, or some kind of chant over and over and over again. We see a couple places in Scripture where this actually happens. You see it in 2 Kings, where Elijah and the prophets of Baal are kind of going back and forth, and the prophets of Baal just get into this kind of this chant where they say the same thing over and over, trying to, to get the attention of their God. In Acts 19, um, we read about the people of Ephesus who worshiped the goddess Artemis. And they sat in an amphitheater for two hours, chanting her name over and over and over again. That was prayer to them. They're trying to get their God's attention. Whatever they needed to do to, to eventually talk their God into paying attention to them or manipulate their God into doing what they wanted them to do. And Jesus says, don't even think about trying that with the one true God. He's not going to be manipulated by some magical, repetitious chant. He, you're not going to get his attention by pounding him over and over and over again with mindless words. And then Jesus throws this in here. Some of you caught it. Oh, by the way, he already knows what you need before you even ask him. And, and now we're into the mystery of prayer, right? Because if he already knows what I need, why ask? If he already knows what I need, why, why pray? And again, if prayer is simply about getting God to do things for us, that's a good question. But if prayer is something more, it's the wrong question. And so, okay, Jesus, that's how we're not supposed to do it. So how, how should we pray? If, if that's not what we're supposed to do, if that's not what we're supposed to say, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to say? And Jesus says, let me, let me tell you. He says, this then, and then means in light of what I've just said. In spite of what the culture around you does, in spite of what you've done your whole life, in spite of what you've always thought prayer was about, in spite of how you've done it, this is how you should pray. And what he gives next is not a formula. Jesus is not saying, memorize these words, and every time you pray, say this. And the reason we know that is because he just told them it's not about the words you use. So the point isn't to memorize the prayer. The point is to give us the critical elements and the proper order in which prayer becomes something more than asking God for stuff. Here we go. He, he says the first thing we should do is declare God's greatness. How does that sound? Jesus says something like this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, when you pray, I don't want you to start with you. Don't start with the list of things. I don't want you to start with you at all. I want you to start with God who, by the way, has invited you to approach him as a father, which is where I lose some of you. Because father 
is not an emotionally neutral word, is it? For some of you, Father does not conjure up feelings of safety and care and provision and love. Some of us it does, but others of it it doesn't. And, and I cannot even begin to pretend to understand the messiness of that for some of you. All I'm saying is, is when you begin to discover who God is, you'll learn it's a good thing to call him Father. And I hope you heard me say, as you begin to discover who God is. Because this doesn't happen automatically. It can I hope it does. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that. But it also might take years. I'll say this. Um, I know plenty of people who've been where you are, who, who, who know the, the pain associated with that phrase, Father. Many of them are watching this right now. And they've gotten to the place in their life where they can pray, my Father in heaven, without wincing without that being a negative thing. Because see, Jesus, Jesus didn't just do this randomly. That title means something. In Aramaic, it's the word Abba, which, which means daddy, the most intimate, personal term for father. There, there are only two people in this universe that can, that can call me that. And we're, we're in those, those adolescent years where my kids are, are 15 and almost 13. So anytime they call me daddy, they have my full attention. Partly because they're in those years where it doesn't happen very often, but it's also because I'm still enthralled with the two human beings that invoke that title with me. So Jesus says, when you pray, don't rush to yourself. Don't go to the list automatically. I want you to start by recognizing who you're talking to. And here's what I think. Here's what I think we discover when we do that. The more time you spend recognizing who it is you're talking to, the less concerned you'll be about all those things you can't wait to ask him about. The more time you spend acknowledging embracing, um, reflecting on who it is you're talking with, the more peace, the more trust, um, the more confidence you'll have that he can handle whatever it is that you started talking to him with in the first place. Jesus says, once you're alone, you got the door closed, you're not babbling on and on trying to get my attention. I want you to spend a little time. <clears throat> How much time, Lord? Doesn't matter. It's not the amount. It's not, it's not the quantity of time. But before you get to the what, I want you to spend a little time letting this sink in. Who exactly do you think you're talking to? Who are you addressing? Who are you communing with? Who? And then there's a word that we don't use very often, right? Hallowed. What in the world does that mean? Does it have something to do with Halloween? No, it, it means to greatly honor 
to, to value, to revere, okay? Now, um, I have a really hard time remembering people's names. It's a terrible trait for a pastor to have. But I could, I could meet you for the first time, shake your hand, hear your name, and two minutes later, I've probably forgotten your name. I have to meet somebody over and over and over again before I have their name locked in um, with their face. But uh, one of the greatest all-time stories of name forgetting happened at a wedding um, a few years back. Um, most of the time, people are a little nervous on their wedding day, and I could tell you some stories about that, but I won't. But uh, before the wedding, I usually check with the bride and the groom just to see how they're doing. And this particular, this particular couple, I went downstairs um, to, to spend a little time with the groom just to see how he was doing. And uh, without even thinking about it, before I left, I said, hey, man, everything will be great. Just don't forget your name. And, and we got to the part in the ceremony when they're reciting their vows to each other. I always start with their, their full legal name, and I won't tell you who it was. That would just be kind of embarrassing. Um, but his name rhymes with Joe Maloney. And um, he actually has two. Joe told me I could use this, by the way, so, so don't worry. Joe actually has two middle names. And that was a first for me, but he's lived with it his entire life. So I figured he's good with it. And, and I started, I said, okay, repeat after me. I, Joseph, Michael, Matthew, Maloney. And he goes, I, Joseph. And he just freezes. And my first thought was, oh, no, I jinxed him. I jinxed him when I told him not to forget his name. And, and we had a good laugh about it, moved on with the ceremony, certainly made it, made it memorable. Um, but but here's, here's my point. God is not so insecure that he's saying, you better get my name right. But, but he wants us to take him so seriously that we even honor his name, that we revere that we respect and, and, and honor his name. Jesus is teaching, remember that he's your father. There's an intimacy there. There's a closeness there. But there's also an awe there. Hallowed be your name. And then we get to the part that we struggle with. Even if we don't know it. We struggle with this. We want to move around this. This is the speed bump. This is where we want to bail but I think this is the foundation. This is life-changing. This is the point. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I've recognized who I'm talking to. And before I get to my list of needs and my wants and, and my wishes, I just want you to know, God, whatever your answer to, 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 my, to my questions are, your will before my will. Your kingdom before my kingdom. I'm, I'm going to declare your greatness, and then I'm going to surrender my will. Because your will for my family comes before my will for my family. Your agenda about who and when I marry comes before my agenda. Your will for my money, my career, my kids, all of that, I want you to know before I get to any of that, I am fully surrendered to your will, your kingdom 
on earth, in my world, in my life, in this little patch of dirt that I live on. I want that to be as close to your kingdom in heaven as possible. And see, again, the the point of prayer is not to get stuff from God. It's to bring our will, our priorities, our agenda, our vision for our future into alignment with his. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, on this earth, as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, I want you to come. I want you to close the door. I want you to declare my Father's greatness. Remember who it is that you're talking to. And then I want you to surrender your will. Because come on, if we're not careful, and I'm including myself in this, if we're not careful, we'll start praying prayers that sound more like this. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth who gives a rip about heaven. Give me this day everything I want, everything I can stick into my bank account, and everything I can consume, and lead me not into temptation, because I can find it all by myself. Amen. I mean, come on. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Because don't, don't your prayers sound like that sometimes? See, I think when we connect with our Heavenly Father on a regular basis, behind a closed door, declaring His greatness first, surrendering our will second, the temptation to run our own lives is held in check. Doesn't go away. But the temptation to seek my little K kingdom it's held in check. So Jesus says, when, when you pray, I want you to say to your Father in heaven, you are so great and awesome that your kingdom takes precedent over mine. As scary as that is, as threatening as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, I'm surrendering my marriage, my money, my kids, my kids' future, my future, my hopes, where I go to school, what I major in, all of it. Because I want your will more than I want my will for me. Declare his greatness. Surrender your will. And then the third part is acknowledge your dependence. This this is the part we usually start with, or this is the part that we usually spend the most time on, because here's our favorite word. Give. Give. (laughs) give, give me, give me, give me, give me, give us today our daily bread. Now, this had so many connotations for that Jewish audience because it brought back imagery of their ancestors crawling out of tents in the middle of the wilderness years and years and years ago, and they would find on the ground these little bits of cake looked like bread because God had given them manna from heaven, and they learned to depend on him for their daily bread. And, and God's point in giving them that manna in the desert, he actually told them what the point was for that. He told them through the prophets. He, he, he said, the day is coming when you won't have to get your bread one day at a time. The day is actually coming when you're going to have so much bread, other nations are going to come and buy bread from you. But I don't want you to forget I don't want you to forget when you have a little and when you have a lot, it's all from me. Because you are as dependent on me for provision when you have nothing 
as you are when you have more than you need. So when you pray, nothing wrong with asking, but ask as a declaration of your dependence on God. Give us today our daily bread. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We declare our dependence on him for provision, but we also declare our dependence on him for pardon from sin. God, I can't save myself. I can't earn salvation. I need you to forgive me. I need you to pardon me from sin. And then as you forgive me, I'm going to turn around. And just as you've forgiven me, I'm going to forgive the people that have sinned against me. And then he ends it with this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're dependent on him for provision. We're dependent on him for pardon. And we're dependent on him for protection. Protect us from the evil one. Protect us from evil. Protect us from ourselves. Protect from the things that that we can't see from the things that we, we don't know is going on in the spiritual realm. Protect my kids, my family, my marriage. I acknowledge I'm so dependent on you for protection. And, and then the prayer just ends. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's it. Now, growing up, especially if you grew up in church, You heard this little part to the ending of the prayer that goes like this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And there's some history behind that that I won't get into right now, but but this is how Jesus ends the prayer. That's how you pray, and then he just kind of moves on to the next subject. And so here, here it is again, what Jesus teaches about prayer just summarized. Number one, you declare his greatness. How long does that take? I don't know. How long you got? It could take hours. It could take days, but how long you got? Number two, surrender your will. How long does that take? Depends on where your heart is. Depends on what's going on in your life. Depends on how tightly you're holding on to your kingdom. And then the third thing, acknowledge your dependence. How long does that take? Well, again, it depends on how how many things are on your list. Depends on how much you need to lean into him for, 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 for provision or for pardon or for protection. But it starts with God, it ends with you, and in the middle is the issue. Whose agenda, whose will takes priority in your life? See, we we, we talk a lot about creating environments where life change can happen. That's part of our mission as a church. And right now, There's not a whole lot of environments that we can create where this can take place. But the one environment that will cause the most change in your life is that space, that time that you carve out to align your will with God's will through prayer. And do you know whose responsibility that is? It's not your pastors. It's not your spouses if you're married. It's not your parents. It's not some spiritual mentor that you have. It's it's not some uh, preacher that you see on TV. 
you are responsible for that. So here's my question as, as we wrap up. The surrendering your will part, have you ever done that? Have you ever made that decision? I'll be honest, the older I get, the more I realize that's not a one-time decision. That's, that's like a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment decision that I have to make. Because I've, I've realized the more that my little K kingdom grows, the more I have to surrender, right? I mean, when I was 17, and, and, and I would say to God, God, I just want to surrender everything to you, and God's going... You got an 88 Pontiac Grand Am, some really bad clothes and used golf clubs. Awfully generous of you, Tim. But Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. You can't afford to go anywhere, Tim. It, it felt so hard to surrender everything to God as a 17-year-old. But it is a whole lot harder. When I got married and I had kids and I got a mortgage and a growing retirement account and at every stage of life I have to ask myself, Tim, are you praying that sincerely? Can, can you say that authentically? Can, can, can you say, before I know if it's going to work out or not, God, I just want you to know, your kingdom come, your will be done, in my life as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever said that to God? Do you need to remind yourself of that? And let me tell you, if it scares you to think about doing that, I think you're taking it seriously. When you pray like that, sincerely, authentically, Life change takes place in the context of a relationship. And, and, and that's what your heavenly father is after. Relationship, communion, communication, one-on-one relationship. Declare his greatness. Surrender your will and acknowledge your dependence. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And that is how we'll end. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, you are way, way bigger than this universe. You're far out there, but at the same time, you're close. You're as close as our next breath. And, 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 and great, amazing is your name. Even your name is great. And God, we want to be people who can authentically, sincerely pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth, in our life, as it is in heaven. And, and, and God, as, as we figure that out, as we lay that before you, as, as we pray that with as much sincerity as we can, would you provide us with everything we need on a daily basis? 
We are so dependent on you, even when we don't understand, even if we can't see it or grasp it. We are so dependent on you. We, we need your forgiveness. We cannot make it to you without the forgiveness that you offer us through Christ. And God, as, as you have forgiven us, we're going to turn around and we're going to forgive those around us because we didn't deserve it. And then last but not least, would you, would you protect us from the evil one? Would you protect us from things that are happening around us that we don't understand and we can't quite get our hands on and it's, it's not as, as evident to us as it is to you? Would you protect us from those things? Because after all, everything is about your kingdom. And you've got all the power. And going back to where we started, it really is all about your glory. Forever and ever and ever. Amen.